Welcome to episode 214 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Anne, Diane, Lucy, and Elizabeth. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Anne, Diane, Lucy, and Elizabeth, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that the We at the Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program. We represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is Eric. Welcome. Hey, good morning, Spencer. I chose a reading. Uh, not many references in the indexes for the daily readers, but there was one here that I like. May 11th, From Courage to Change, page 132. I spend more time with myself than with anyone else. Wouldn't it make sense to put some energy into making that relationship as fulfilling as possible? Another person cannot prevent me from feeling lonely, but my inner emptiness can be satisfied. I can come to value my own company. I'm a worthwhile companion. One of the illusions shared by many of us who have been affected by alcoholism is that only another person, usually the alcoholic, can fill that empty place within us. If only he were more attentive. If only she got sober. If only they were with me now. I wouldn't be lonely. But some of us remain just as lonely even after those conditions are met. Today, when I'm by myself, I will know that I'm in good company. When I stop expecting others to meet all of my needs, I find new and exciting ways to enjoy my own friendship. And when I do get lonely, I have the comfort and support of a higher power who never leaves me. Today's reminder, today I will spend some time exploring the most intimate human relationship I will ever have, my relationship with myself. And the quote from Ellen Burstyn, what a lovely surprise to discover how unlonely being alone can be. Our sort of prompt words for today's episode were sadness and loneliness or sad and lonely. And as usual, I pick a topic that I suggest, and uh, it's something that has uh, been that I'm feeling, and I've been feeling a lot of it for the last week. So the definition I looked up, uh, as you would have might expect, this one's pretty straightforward. Feeling sorrow, unhappiness, gloom, somber, uh, melancholy, woebegone. Isn't that a lake somewhere? <laughs> Uh, yeah. My prairie home companion prairie lake home will companion, be gone. Lake, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a sad lake. And, uh, you know, some other dejections, a feeling of sadness that is akin to pain, resembles sorrow only as the mist resembles rain. That's from Longfellow. You know, the definitions go on to talk about facial expressions and seriousness, and they're, they're quite akin to each other, these two things. Although further back along, we can talk about some of the things Psychology Today says about the differences. Some shares I found on it from some Al-Anon websites are loneliness versus aloneness. And kind of that's where I kind of want to go with this subject. We can all be alone and, you know, we can deal with loneliness or sadness as an emotion, which it is. And what we learn is to look at it and you know, let it pass instead of letting it cascade into something more serious like depression. So that's my thoughts on the definition. When you first proposed this, I was like, huh, where do we go with this? But then I started, I just started thinking back 
because when I talk about negative feelings, which sadness and loneliness are generally considered to be negative feelings, I guess, I think back to, okay, where was I before I came into recovery? And how did I react to? How did I deal with? And what prompted these feelings? Prompted is not the word I want here. I dislike this, the the phraseology that says, so it's something made me sad, mm-hmm. um, but certainly there were things in my life that I was sad about. And there were times that I felt lonely. And the, the one thing that that was definitely true was the self-isolation that I imposed on myself as the drinking situation in my family got worse. And I felt like I was ashamed of it. I didn't want other people to see it. I couldn't talk about it to other people for the same sort of reasons. Because it was becoming such a huge part of certainly my emotional life, I withdrew from contact. I mean, I, I still had casual contact with people, but there was no depth to it because I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't talk about the, you know, sort of what was almost the most important thing in my life or maybe it was. And so I became lonely sort of by choice, not exactly choice. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Of course, of course, by default. And for me going way back, I felt really consumed with sadness and despair because I was trying so desperately to save my marriage and feeling so powerless over my then wife's drinking and behavior and, you know, overwhelmed with sadness. I mean, I guess, you know, why I chose this to bring up again, I guess I'll just get into a little personal story because, you know, I've largely worked around and worked through that feeling of sadness and loneliness. But, you know, I was with the same woman who I was very much in love with for 25 years and four years before we were married and 2021 20, being married and raising two beautiful girls until the disease kind of kind of just stole it all, you know, in, in a bitterest sense. Uh, I've learned not to blame it and I've since grown much more with, you know, the tools of this program. But back then it was just debilitating. What happens, I guess... You know, like with most things, you now they surface again after we work our program and start really feeling our feelings. And just, I guess the honesty part here I got to get out is that I miss being, you know, with a partner. I miss uh, being in love. I miss uh, waking up with someone when, I, when I'm having a, a bad night, you know, and feeling the comfort of someone next to me in bed or having breakfast. You know, all the little stuff which encompassed love. And I was cursed and blessed with a big heart, you know, by my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So this last week, my ex-wife took my daughters on vacation. So I was really, obviously, I could have no physical contact with my daughters. Uh, my older, of whom has lived with me for almost four years, she's 20, actually since exactly the divorce. And my younger, who's 15, both adorable girls, they both have suffered at the hands of this disease, living with it and living with me prior to having any tools of my own. So this week has been tough for me, and and I don't know why. I guess you know I'm trying to date a few women and seeing some people, but not finding the love that I long for. I guess, and then with my addition, additionally with my girls being away, I just kind of Thursday night or whatever night it was, I was 
I guess suggested this topic to you early in the week, but then (laughs) as is usually the case, then I started thinking about it, sharing on it, reading on it. And, you know, it actually escalated to a point where on Thursday evening, I woke at one or one thirty in the morning and couldn't get back to sleep at all. And was just feeling really, you know, sad for myself, Mm -hmm. I guess is the way, you know, that I don't have someone in my life yet. Just began praying, as you said, and I shared on this subject, Last Saturday, you know, I, I no longer pray for a pony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I pray. I prayed. Uh, I simply my my go to prayer now is just God help me between one and three thirty. I said that many times, dozens of times, until I fell back asleep finally. And what happened was I had the most beautiful dreams that I've had in years, from three thirty or four until I woke again, uh, up again at six or so. Mm-hmm. And it was about people I loved. The dreams that I had were about people that are either alive now that I know or that have departed. I had a dream about my father, who we lost about a year and a half ago. I had a dream about my beautiful dog, Jake, who we lost about a year and a half ago, uh, June last year. And uh, they were both incredibly happy. We were playing together, and my dog, my yellow lab, was running alongside me on my Vespa and looking back at me and smiling. And then I had a dream about a girl that I uh, felt a lot of strong emotions for a while back. And I saw her in the room yesterday, and she's from program, and um, and I had a really beautiful dream with her. And it, it was romantic. And, you know, I guess looking back on this, I asked for help, and I got it. Mm-hmm. I woke up with a smile. It's just miraculous uh, that I can work through something this hard as for me was sadness and loneliness, I can work through it and ask for help. And when I ask, I get it. That's, I guess, the point I want to make. And in my case, I asked and I got help and I woke up smiling after a really awful night. So that's my little personal story on this topic. Yeah, it is the way the program works in our life somehow, isn't it? Yeah, really does. It's amazing. The topic is surprisingly buried kind of in other areas of our literature, but there are a number of references to sadness and loneliness and how Al-Anon works. Um, in the, my paperback version, it's page 197. It's, I'm sure, different in others as we talked before the show. But this one, it says just briefly, again, I've experienced the loneliness I'd always tried to escape But this time, I've refused to run away. As a result, I've discovered that loneliness won't kill me. Ironically, I don't have to go through it alone. My friends, my Elon friends, and my sponsor give me tremendous support and encouragement. And service work continues to make my life shine more brightly. And something I've seen in the readings in our literature and like other places is, you know, is the idea of getting out of ourselves when we're feeling a feeling we don't like. Look at it as if it's a cloud, realizing it'll pass by, there'll be sun behind it. And even if the sky is completely clouded over, the sun is above the clouds. It's there. We just have to work through it and realize it's a feeling, not necessarily a fact. It'll pass, and the sun is going to shine again. So I thought that reading was kind of cool. I guess what came into my head when I was listening to that reading is also the thing that we sometimes talk about in recovery programs is that we're trying to fill something inside ourselves with other people. And that when that's not there, when, when, when we don't get it from the people around us, then 
we feel incomplete. We feel lonely. We feel sad. I feel lonely. I feel sad. The thing about that is that it doesn't, I mean, it might work for a while. I might be able to, to fill some need through another person. But then when that person moves on, that person changes, that person leaves, I'm back to me. The tools of our program, the steps and the other tools that we learn in in meetings, help me to find that fulfillment within myself so that I don't need another person. I like to have other people in my life. Uh, It makes life better. I may be sad when they're not there. But if if I can fill that that hole, that God shaped hole as it's often called, with a higher power, then then I can enjoy the other people in my life, but not rely, depend on them for for my own happiness. Yeah, that's that's really the point I think that I've been kind of working through this week, and it's strange that it was really yesterday after thinking on this for a week that I kind of came out of the whole feeling of sadness and uh, started feeling much better. And it, it happened exactly as that first reading said, you know, that it'll pass. And it did. When I asked for help, you know, the slogan halt that comes to mind here that, you know, I shouldn't respond, react when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, Mm-hmm. Or tired, and I had a reaction to something a client actually, and reacted somewhat. And I was well, I wouldn't say reacted; I responded negatively. Let's <laughs> put it that way. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've learned to pause before responding, and, and that allows me to respond rather than react. But my response was not. Let's see, what was it? It was not as kind as it could have been. Let me put it that way. Just touching on our more recent episode, we finished Con Kindness. So a client reacted to something. They they absolutely reacted. And rather than me, you know, just um, remaining silent or having a neutral response, which would have been ideal, uh, like I don't see it that way or that's interesting or, you know, really, <laughs> yeah. I, chose, I chose to go with whatever. <laughs> Probably not the best thing to do with a client that was a little bit perturbed. Boy, did it come back like a boomerang. He did not appreciate the cavalier whatever response. And in hindsight, it was probably wrong of me to respond that way. Anyway, I should have just let it go and chosen a different route to be remain more neutral. Because, negative, you know, whatever, it's rude. I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of culminated my week of illuminating on the subject of uh, sadness and loneliness and just the, the idea to halt when I'm feeling lonely, one of the letters in that slogan. Uh, I didn't observe in that moment, and, you know, it bit me. So I guess the whole subject is kind of, uh, for me, uh, it's a feeling. I've now learned to feel my feelings, and uh, not. I, I've also learned to understand that they're going to pass. And to not uh, let them control my behavior as much as I can during a period of loneliness or sadness. You know, one of the other readings talks about facial expressions and, a, a, a you know, a frown that clearly, you know, 
uh, you can you can tell people in the rooms and on the streets that are sad. You know, you see it in their face, their facial expressions. And maybe this is a great, I guess, follow-up on the kindness and courtesy episode. It just seems to have come full circle. Maybe this one should have preceded it. But the idea that uh, we're in control of our, our own emotions and to a large extent. We have to feel them and work through them and let them pass. I guess that's a rambling way to sum up my thoughts. During your last share, I wrote down something. You were talking about whether, you know, we're trying to fill the hole uh, in our hearts, in mine at least. I used to try to fill the hole, you know, with staying busy, uh, trying to uh, be driven at work and overachieve and always uh, perfection and all those things we hear to kind of fill a hole of sadness and loss, loneliness. And one of the things I heard when my daughter was in treatment they had a family week and i don't know how why this came up for me but it it did and i wrote it down as you were talking and the counselor there said we were talking about how people want to just love their love their daughter or son sober or hug them straight and he said something that always stuck with me and he said you know i can tell you this he said i love my wife i can tell you from the bottom of my heart i love my wife but I don't need her. It's like, wow, really? Hadn't occurred to me that I could survive without her or someone to fill the hole that feels like sadness and loneliness. I can love myself and be just as whole. Another thing that I have found in recovery is that when I'm feeling sad, let's say, or some other emotion, I have a place I can get it out, that I can express it, that I don't have to stuff it and and have it, you know, build up in inside me to some unbearable level that that when I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm in despair, um, I can go to a meeting and talk about it. I can call an Al-Anon friend and talk about it. I can talk to my higher power about it. The emotion doesn't have to take me over. And I can still feel it. And I remember, it was a few years ago now, I had overbooked myself for a couple of weeks. I had gone to two different conferences in in two different cities back-to-back with, I think, maybe 36 hours at home in between. The second one was for a hobby that I had been quite active in for a while, and what I realized during that conference was that um, I had been disengaging from that hobby. It had become less important to me and that the, the conference wasn't really fulfilling me. And this, this came out over a period of like not days, but weeks during and after the conference that, that I was actually grieving a loss. I was grieving a loss of a thing I used to do that, that just wasn't something that I was really excited about anymore. And in particular, spending, you know, a thousand dollars to drive to a city and stay in a hotel and, and pay for the conference and meals and so on. Uh, and thousand dollars is a round number. It was somewhere around that. But this was something that had been important to me for, for years in my life. And, and it just wasn't that important anymore. And when I realized that what I was feeling was grief. And that's why I was so restless, irritable, and discontent. 
then I could talk about it, I could pray about it, I could meditate about it, and I could let it go. And I could still feel it, but I could feel it by recognizing it. And it, I don't know, does this make sense that, that when I knew what it was, it was easier to feel it and it was 100%. easier to let go of it? Exactly. It's exactly, exactly what I've gone through this last week. When I have something that's bothering me, I, I, I need to, now I know from this program and the help of these tools that I need to look at it, understand it before I can let it go. It's not just I can take my hands off the wheel and God's going to drive the car. I think the thing that broke it open for me, and I don't have the book in front of me, but we have a book called Transforming Our Losses. Mm -hmm. And I was reading in that book near the beginning somewhere when I had this sudden realization and I just started crying, you know, (laughs) like, oh, this is what I'm feeling. Now I can really feel it. And the tears came and then I felt better. Um, And it had been at least a week, maybe longer, that I had just been all like, I don't know what's going on. And it's, it's, you know, it's not good. I wrote down some other words here as we were talking. I wrote down sad despair. You said despair. And wow, that was, that was something that was really strong for me in the months and years leading up to coming into Al-Anon. And then for a while, as, as the program started to sort of seep into me, you know, I was in despair because I didn't know how we were going to fix our life. You know, the drinking was going on and and everything was just felt like it was going into a hole and I didn't know how to, how to deal with it. And so there was a lot of despair there. And I think that working, I'm going to say working the program by which I mean going to meetings, reading the literature, getting a sponsor, doing the steps, talking with other members. And also for this one, going to open AA talks, Uh, was able to replace despair with hope with hope that there, there could be change and that with understanding that with the tools and, and support of uh, Al-Anon and the people in Al-Anon that I could be okay while I was waiting for the change that might not ever come, but it, it, you know, it was there, the possibility was there, and that was hope. And I talked about this actually in an episode titled Hope, which was, I don't know, three years ago. I'll put a link in the show notes at the recovery.show slash 214 to the Hope episode if you want to go back and listen to it. You know, thinking about this subject for a week and not finding much in the way of readings, you just hit the word despair. There's 10 alone on despair. <laughs> <laughs> My God. We only had a week to think about it. Despair in one day at a time has one, two, three, four, five, you know, nine. But anyway, they are closely linked, so uh, lots of readings on despair, and that certainly is what we're talking about here. We just chose a different word that has fewer references to it. And one day at a time, January 28th, says living with an alcoholic may bring us to such a point of desperation that we feel God has abandoned us. Our children are disturbed. Debts are piling up. Encounters with police, imprisonment, infidelity, and physical violence may disgrace the family. What can we do? We know it's time for action, but what steps shall we take? Our own thinking is so confused that we are in no condition to make decisions. At such a crisis, we should seek impartial counsel from a source of professional help, clergymen, social agency, or family court. But most of all, it's important to use the Al-Anon suggestion, let go and let God. 
Reminder says, I know I'm powerless to deal with my problems by myself. The more I struggle to work it out, the more difficult it becomes. I know the divine power can deal with matters which are beyond me. I will try to empty my mind of all fear. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah. So you um, found some, as as you like to do, you found some uh, Psychology Today articles. And I'm looking at this one titled, The Value of Sadness. Yeah, strange, huh? The subtitle is, Sadness Can Be an Adaptive Emotion with Real Benefits. And I haven't read the whole article. I just kind of skimmed a little bit. But what it makes me think of is this thing that we talk about of, you know, feeling our emotions, but not having them be us, you know, that we don't push them away. We don't push them down. We feel them. We get the only way out is through, right? I think that's sort of where she's starting from in this column. I don't know. You must have, you probably read it more than I did. And and maybe you can. uh... Yeah. I highlighted some stuff that spoke to me. It says our tendency to avoid sadness is almost instinctive. From a very young age, we try to avoid sad feelings. As adults, we're quick to uh, shush wailing babies or offhandedly say to a sobbing child, don't be sad, cheer up, you're fine, stop crying. Often sadness is mistakenly confused with depression. Sadness is a natural part of life and is usually connected with certain experiences of pain or loss or even a meaningful moment of connection or joy that makes us value our lives. Sadness is a live emotion that can serve to remind us of what matters to us, what gives life meaning. You know, it goes on and really good. Uh, if we wouldn't, uh, can put a link to this, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, and um, some of the quotes I heard, I, I also have, you know, they talk about, you, you know, there is not sun without clouds. It's always darkest before dawn. You know, there's not happiness without experiencing or recognizing what, what sadness is. This, this article says, goes on in some of my highlights. It says, throughout our lives, we're confronted with painful realities. Pain from our interpersonal relationships, rejections, frustrations, incidental hurts we experience in our interactions with others. We face the pain of existential issues, loss, disease, deterioration, and ultimately death. In addition, most of us harbor a lot of old pain from our past and have implicit memories of difficult emotions we experienced, but we're too young to make sense of it. This stuff in psychology today really hits on our program. You know, it really tries to unwind the the mental condition, the human condition. Um, This goes on to say about stuffing our feelings with, you know, uh, avoiding getting too close to someone or using a substance to numb us from the pain. I mean, I think a lot of people with addictions, it starts from probably try, yeah. trying to numb the pain of whatever they grew up in or are living with. Yeah, I got a couple of sentences here that jumped out at me. We can't selectively numb pain without numbing joy. That's it. I saw that one. And we misuse. we can misuse our negative emotions by allowing ourselves to dwell on them or feeling victimized. Yeah. And then... If we choose to feel our emotions, to let them move through us, we make better choices about our actions and lead a more goal-directed life. We can learn to accept that we need our pure and real feelings because they connect us to ourselves, what we love and what we want. And a little earlier, there was like, there was a thing about how when you're feeling sad about something, it's probably because there was something good there. Yeah. And, and what I've learned is instead of run from it to, you know, lean into it and feel it and try to understand it and then push through. You know, I've talked before about 
uh, a friendship that that I lost a few years ago, I can look at that in two different ways. I can dwell on the loss and feel sorry for myself and isolate and and oh poor me, or I can remember that there was a lot of good there. It's over now. That's sad, but if I dwell on the loss, I forget about the good. And I think that's that's also part of what what she's saying in this article. So really, really good stuff there. Yeah, the other article by a, a woman named Kira Asatrian. Asatrian surprise the surprising antidote to loneliness. Wow, I found some things in here that were kind of interesting. Essentially, it said, well, the loneliness is, is essentially sadness caused by a lack of closeness, also known as sadness caused by distance. This is why it doesn't work to simply surround yourself with people. You must actually feel close to them. Yeah. So what exactly, she said, well, so what exactly do I mean by closeness? And then she goes on to talk about knowing and caring. I wrote, you know, validating people and listening um, is I guess what I guess where I'm leading with when I pick a subject is I want to be open, you know, to when and if love comes back into my life with a woman that that I am the most lovable person I can be, and what the tools teach me, and by looking at my own behavior, it's really just trying to improve myself, mm-hmm. to value other people when they communicate, to listen, and to care. You know, not just uh, shouldn't be staring at my iPhone and looking beyond them at the, the the clouds. This goes on. She says this doesn't mean becoming quote concerned or worried about the person's well being, which is really just you dumping your anxieties to someone else. It just means communicating that they matter to you. Really powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think about closeness, and I think about how Alanon has maybe helped with the loneliness problem. I've found other ways to be close than just a romantic relationship. I mean, I feel close to my wife. I feel close to my kids, but I can also feel close to my sponsor. Here we go. What do I mean by closeness? As the quote implies, feeling of closeness arises between two people when they both feel that the other understands them well and cares about them deeply. I think about some of the people that I sponsor where I think that's there. It's not a romantic relationship, (laughs) but it is, it is close. And we can talk about things. We do talk about things that if I was just sitting with a work friend at, at lunch or over coffee, I certainly wouldn't talk about, and they wouldn't talk about. And so this program has provided me with, another way of learning closeness and, you know, what you might call platonic closeness or something. I don't know. Uh, Because I think our society in particular really um, emphasizes this notion of romantic closeness. Mm -hmm. There are other ways to bring that into your life, which is not to say romantic closeness is not like a goal. Okay. Uh, It is. I would, I would miss it, if I didn't have it, and you know, you're missing it because you don't have it, right? Right. But I, I can fill part of that need for closeness in other ways, and right. the program has given me another way to do that. Yeah. 
And uh, for me, it's just learning that, like that reading said so clearly, learning to love myself. There's no one I'm spending more time with than me. <laughs> no kidding. It's, it, it's 24-7, so I better be happy with the person I am. Yeah, no kidding. And I better love myself. And, you know, this this talks to our program, self-care. And, you know, how a lot of people in the rooms are, they're the opposite of that. When they come in, they're self-loathing. And so I guess what I'm taking away from my work on this subject is learning to love myself is more important than having to learning how to make other people love me. You know, if I act as if uh, I am lovable and behave in a loving way towards myself, I'm more apt to attract love. What's amazing Again, going back to my sleepless night last week was that I was asking for help. I was simply asking for God to help me over and over. And I use the app Insight Timer I've shared with you before. I think you've yep. put a link to it. And uh, there was a friend. You know, you can friend people that on there. And then the purpose of that is they could be anywhere in the world. If someone has a particularly strong meditation program, which is indicated by the colors of their little star points, I might look at what, you know, if they happen to be meditating at the same time and I, as I am, it'll show me you just meditated with these people. And I'll look at somebody I know uh, and see what they meditated to and just try it out. There's thousands of different choices. I chose for, I don't even know why, just that morning when I couldn't sleep, I finally did. And I woke up and I chose a person to see what they were looking at and meditating to. And it was exactly on this subject. It was on becoming lovable by taking care of ourselves mm. and setting setting in out basically a vibration that, uh, you know, I'm a lovable person that has a big heart and not is honest and has good intentions. And by sending out that vibration, you attract it. Uh, you attract what you want by becoming what it is that you like about yourself, I guess. That's a circular way to, to look at it, but I think you know what I mean. Yep. I have found by, through personal experience that there you go. when I love myself, then when I'm seeking closeness with another person, I don't become a needy person in that right. relationship or friendship. I think helps that relationship to to grow when... I'm not all of a sudden in there going, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Um, because I'm coming at it from a place of strength, from a place of I'm okay. And let's see what we can find between the two of us. One of the promises, one of my favorites is uh, we can love uh, others without losing ourselves. One of the Al-Anon promises, yeah. We can love without losing ourselves. And that goes back to the person, the therapist, that I later learned had many, many years in recovery. In hindsight, it was obvious at that point. I didn't know that. But he, when he said, you know, I love my wife, but I don't need her. You know, I just found that stunning. You know, I, I, yeah. I, was, so, I was so codependent yeah. that I didn't think I could breathe without my wife in my life. Yeah. Any closing words on this subject? Maybe a nice quote or two. Oh, sure. Yeah, I have a few of those. As expected, there's a lot of pretty smart, notable people that have a word or two to say on this subject. The quote is, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. And that quote is from Mother Teresa. Hmm. This one I like from someone named Regina Brett. Some days, 24 hours is too much to stay put in. 
So I take the day hour by hour, moment, moment by moment. I break the task, the challenge, the fear into small bite-sized pieces. I can handle a piece of fear, depression, anger, pain, sadness, loneliness, illness. I can actually put my hands up to my face, one next to each eye, like blinders on a horse. And the phrase I like in there is, I can handle a piece of fear. You know, if I look at it as just a piece. That, that one was good. Negative emotions like loneliness, envy, and guilt have an important role to play in a happy life. They're big flashing signs that something needs to change. I like that one. That's by Gretchen Rubin. Mm-hmm. Life is full of misery, loneliness, and suffering, and it's all over much too soon. <laughs> Woody Allen. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I'm going to attribute this to the Buddha. In life, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And I think that applies to what we've been talking about today. And I'll close one more. Norman Cousins, the eternal quest of the individual human being is to shatter his loneliness. Pretty cool. After a short break, we will continue with our lives and recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. The first musical selection, and I'll tell you what, there's a wealth of material about loneliness yeah. and sadness. Oh, my goodness. A friend of mine used to say, you know, there's only three types of popular songs. There's, I needed my baby, I got my baby, and I lost my baby. Okay. <laughs> and 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 the only the one in the middle is not about Sadness and loneliness, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One out of three. Yeah. The first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 214, is Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. The song is Tears of a Clown. And I don't know if I need to like say anything more about this song, uh, but maybe there's some people out there who haven't heard it yet. This, to me, is a song about being sad on the inside, being alone on the inside, even when you're in the middle of a crowd. And the idea is here's this clown with a smile painted on his face, but he's really truly sad. And some, some lyrics here, if there's a smile on my face, it's only there trying to fool the public. Don't let my glad expression give you the wrong impression. Really? I'm sad. Oh, I'm sadder than sad. Like a clown. I appear to be glad. Now there's some sad things known to men, but ain't too much sadder than the tears of a clown when there's no one around. That one came to me this morning. I was actually, I was sitting in church. I don't know why it came to me while I was sitting in church. I was like, oh my God, I have to remember that song so we can have it in the show because it's just perfect. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives. This, This week or the last couple of weeks, Last week's episode for me was an open talk because I had a really busy weekend and I was like, I want to put something out and I have a, a backlog of talks that I've listened to that then I leave a note for myself that, hey, this one would be a good one when I want to do an open talk. And so I picked it and uh, as we'll hear later in the feedback section, uh, it clearly touched a number of people because I got several responses about it even in just a week. So it was a good thing. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm phoning it in when I, I do something like an open talk. And then I hear from people about how much it touched them. And I'm like, nope, I'm not phoning it in. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my job. Over the last couple of weeks, I had a step one meeting. It was pretty good. 
So for some reason, I felt in need of first step to talk about powerlessness. I think it might have something to do with having been with my my parents recently as they're they're aging. And I learned from my sister this week that the, she went with them to doctor appointments and the doctor gave my father a memory test and he scored a 17 out of whatever, which is means that, yes, he, he is losing memory facility. And it's sad. And it's scary because we're not sure what the next step is. My brother, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this, my brother works as um, a home care uh, assistant of some sort. I don't know what his exact title is. And he talked during this visit, he talked with me and my sister at least about possibly taking some time off from, from his work in California and coming to live with my parents in New York state to, uh, you know, be with them to see how their life is to help them with the, the daily mechanics of life. And I, and I think to maybe, you know, work to, to get a, a longer term solution in place. And, a, and I really appreciate that offer from him. I, it's not something that I could do. And I guess that's, you know, the nice thing about having some siblings in this situation is that, that each of us is able to do some things and we don't, any of us have to do all of it. Sunday night meeting last week, somebody picked a reading we usually do that meeting. We start with a reading from one of the daily readers and, and person said, I I really like this reading from August 19th, which is about, if I have to sum it up into a couple of words, it's about lies and reality. It's about when we're in relationship with active addiction, that our lives are filled with lies, but that we can learn to recognize what's real rather than just believing the lies or, is in I said in my share, I uh, talked about denial, which is lying to myself about what's real, about not not recognizing what's right in front of my face, in this case that my wife had relapsed, and denying it for at least a month until it just became so freaking obvious that I, I had to let go of that, that denial and stop lying to myself. Been meeting in this, uh, well, what we call AWOL group, a, a way of living, a small group of, there are five of us, and we're working our way through the steps using the Al-Anon book called Paths to Recovery, which has questions for each step to help us work through it. And at our last meeting, we finished all the questions for step one, and now we're we're looking forward to starting step two. But the hardest question for me in the step one section in the book was the last one, which maybe is not exactly, but it says, do I trust my feelings and do I know what they are? When I was answering that question, the only answer I could come up with was, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been in this program for 15 years or so, right? And and But as we talked, and this is why for me, this process of working through the steps with a group of people is so valuable that inevitably the things that other people say in response to a particular question illuminate parts of that question that that I had not even thought of. And it really helped me to to see that I'm much better at naming and recognizing my feelings than than I was when the only feeling I had for a long time was anger. 
And I certainly wasn't recognizing it. It just was there. It was like the water I was swimming in was anger. So I'm better at knowing what my feelings are. And I think I'm better at trusting when I, you know, get a gut feeling. And I also have a process in the program where I can check in. I can check into the literature. I can check into a sponsor. I can check into another person and say, hey, this thing came up for me and I'd like to talk about it. I'm not asking like for validation. I'm not asking for support. Well, support maybe, but I'm not asking for somebody else to say, oh, yes, that's true or not. Sometimes it's just the process of talking about it is sufficient to actually make me help me to understand whether this is a, a, a trustworthy feeling or not. Oh, and the other thing that we talked about, we always at the beginning of our meeting, we, we do a little check in, you know, how what's going on in in our lives, sort of like what I'm doing here, but a little different. I talked about in my team at work, we had recognized, we did a little like self-examination and inventory of ourselves, of our team, and recognized that we have a deadline. We know we have a deadline. We didn't recognize we have a deadline. That was given. But that at the rate we were able to do the work, we probably weren't going to finish by the deadline. And so we we spent, I think, an hour sort of talking through well, what are our options here. And one of the options, which is sort of the most obvious one, but it wasn't the only one, and it's not the only thing we're doing, is, well, work more hours. We said, let's commit to working 10 more hours a week, and we'll do this for three or four weeks, and we'll see what our goal looks like, you know, what our progress looks like. One of the things that's really good is that we do have a way of measuring how much work we have left to do and how much work we're, we're getting done. So we can we can actually do run the numbers and say, yeah, okay, our estimated completion time has has improved and it's now within our deadline or or it's not. And if it's not, then it's like, oh my God, now what do we do? So for me... I'm having to find 10 more hours in my week to give to work. And that means I have to let go of some things. I have to, st- there's some things that, that I won't have time to do. And, and it's sort of a process of finding a new normal. And this is going to be for like three or four months and then, and then we'll be done. It's not like forever. So figuring out like when those hours are, I'm trying to get to work an hour early. That's five hours in the week right there. If I get to work an hour early, well, that means, I have to either get up earlier or I have to spend less time doing my morning stuff. And I'm still working that one out. I'm still finding the new normal. But that's that's a thing that, you know, I can do. Just this whole business of living the examined life makes it possible for me to do this kind of thing and to understand that I'm doing it and that I need to do it. So that's where I am in the last week or two. How about you? Uh, let's see. I guess last Sunday uh, I did a twelve my 12 and 12 meeting. I think it was on the Tradition 10, uh, and it was a good meeting. That's a strong group. That's uh, probably 25, 30 people. Thursday, I made my home group meeting, and interesting, I'd never heard a share chosen on the subject shame. It was a good one. She actually chose shame and progress, which is an interesting combination. Something I need to look a little more closely at is shame. I mean, I know that there's a lot of shame associated with the disease, you know, a guilt, yeah, shame, not so much, but progress is what most people in the room chose to share on, not perfection. My Saturday morning meeting I touched on earlier was on the 11th step, 
that was a good one for me because of my Thursday, you know, late night foray into worry and fear and anguish and suffering and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I just expressed, you know, how I got myself out of that and prayed for help. God helped me and did a meditation and got through it and woke up feeling much better. And then last night at the four o'clock men's group, stunningly, I led on sadness and loneliness. How about that? <laughs> How about that? What a surprise. Shocker. And it was only another guy there because I guess summer, you know, this summer has been, uh, the group is uh, obviously a lot of people are away getting their last licks on the summer weather, which is great. The guy who took over for me as the um, the GR, I was there, and we just talked about sadness and loneliness, and we, it was really good. We just spent about forty five minutes sharing with each other, and now I'm here with you. That's been my week. Oh yeah, small meetings. You reminded me, yeah. my meeting yesterday morning. I got there like one minute before the meeting, and there were five people there. That meeting typically has two separate groups sitting at two different tables. There was like one guy sitting at one table and four people sitting at the other table. And I was like, you know, it kind of looks like maybe it's going to be a one table meeting day. So we all moved over to one table and then people kept coming in. <laughs> you know? yeah. And and by the time we had gotten through the readings and we read the step, which was step 11, actually, um, we had like 12 people. So then we split up again. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like, wow, it's the end of the summer and everybody's out of town or something. I don't know. Getting their last little bit of vacation in before Labor Day. We welcome your thoughts about our topic for today, past topics, new topics. You can join our conversation. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734 734- Seven zero seven eight seven nine five. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at the recovery dot show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, sadness and loneliness, or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And of course, we haven't specified any upcoming topics, but. There are some suggestions in the feedback section that we might pick up. Uh, And I I love getting topic ideas, and I love even more getting topic ideas from somebody who's willing to to help with it, like Eric. Thank you, Eric. Our website, which is therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, and you can go to therecovery.show slash episode number. Uh, So if you wanted to say episode 70, you would go to therecovery.show slash 70 to get directly to that episode. Also has links to the music that we talk about. YouTube videos is what we usually post. The second song, I just found the one this morning, but I found it this morning. I was searching for songs about loneliness and and sadness, and I found this song, and it just felt perfect to me for the topic. It's called Scared to be Lonely, and the, the version that I found is performed by Martin Garrix and Dua Lipa. It seems to be about a couple who can't be together, but also can't be apart, and so they're together. And the lyric here, it was great at the very start, hands on each other couldn't stand to be far apart, closer the better. Now we're picking fights and slamming doors, magnifying all our flaws, and I wonder why, I wonder what for, why we keep coming back for more. Is it just our bodies? Are we both losing our minds? Is the only reason you're holding me tonight? Because we're scared to be lonely. 
Do we need somebody just to feel that we're all right? Is the only reason you're holding me tonight because we're scared to be lonely? And when I heard that lyric, I was like, gotta have it. Because that's so much about where I was. I was staying in a relationship because I was scared to be alone. What the program let me do was to figure out how to stay in that relationship without it being horrible for me. And also to reduce this need for the other person. We got a bunch of emails, comments on the website and voicemails here this week couple of short ones. Anne said, I just recently listened to the most recent episodes and was reminded of how rich, deep, and thorough and valuable they are. Diane wrote, thank you for your broadcast. I've learned so much about myself by listening to you and your experiences that are similar to mine, but I didn't have the words to describe and explain it. Got a couple of voicemails from Michelle, uh, two different topics. She responded to, I, did we do an episode or... Or did we just say, hey, here's an upcoming topic? I think we said, hey, here's a possible upcoming topic about trustworthiness versus gossip. Here's what Michelle had to say about that. Hey, Spencer. This is Michelle from Northeast Florida. Um, I'm working through back episodes and heard your request for contributions on the topic of trustworthiness versus gossip. I had a couple of thoughts I could share on that. You know, the first thing with trustworthiness, I will say that's something that I had to learn in the rooms of Al-Anon. Alanon taught me about anonymity, you know, what you see here, what you hear here, let it stay here. And that really helped show me what it means to be a trustworthy person, that, you know, what I hear in the meetings and what I see is not mine to share. You know, the principles of anonymity means that I can, you know, keep it to myself and and allow people the space to share freely so that they feel like they can trust me, that I'm not going to go and, and share it with anyone else. And then along the idea of gossip, uh, gossip is definitely one of my top defects. Uh, it pairs nicely with my favorite defect, which is judgment. And Michelle's second voicemail, she talked about how she has recognized her own uh, spiritual illness or spiritual disease. And anyway, here's Michelle. Hey, Spencer. This is Michelle from Northeast Florida. Again, I wanted to share a um, topic idea I'm going through the process of working my steps a second time with my sponsor. Um, the first time I worked them on the principle of being powerless over the someone else's illness or the effects of someone else's illness on my life, and that got me through about five years of Al-Anon until now I'm really being humbled with the idea that I'm powerless over my own spiritual illness. You know, as they say, I'm my own qualifier, and I've had to admit, you know, I have a spiritual malady. It manifests itself in different ways than with the alcoholic, but you know, I'm just as humble and as desperate and in need of, you know, emotional sobriety as they are for physical sobriety. Some of the symptoms of my spiritual illness come across as, you know, instead of obsessive drinking, it's obsessive thinking. It's, you know, constant need for approval and affirmation. It's attaching myself to people, places, things, and outcomes and uh, and placing, you know, those same people, places, and things as my higher power. So, it's been an interesting um, and humbling journey to work the steps around my own spiritual illness that, you know, we may call it codependency, but I think it's the same spiritual malady that Bill W. talks about that the alcoholics have or, or possibly anyone with an ism. 
So I'd be interested if you have any, um, if there are any episodes on this idea of what is my spiritual disease, you know, or if it's something that I could contribute to. I'm kind of at the beginning of my journey of healing on that vein. So thank you for letting me share. Got a note from Neek, who was, well, I'll just read it. She wrote about episode 212. I was so very surprised to find your recovery show and hear you read my piece that went viral. PSA, I didn't get sober for this shit. I'm so happy that this piece of writing that I did out of anger and self-righteous fear and heartache has touched so many people in recovery and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> and and I just have to say that, yeah, I mean, I can see the anger in there, but it, the, the truth in there is what has struck me and apparently a number of other people. I went back to the uh, original blog post, which, by the way, is linked in episode 212 at the recovery.show slash 212. Uh, there's a link to it. And there's a whole bunch of comments on there now about, oh, my God, this is so true. I've been there. Um, thank you for writing this, et cetera. And just thank you, Neek, for, for noticing that we that we covered it and, and, and for being okay with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Got a, a short voice message from Akila. Here's Akila. Hi, Spencer. This is Akila. I'm calling to thank you and Emily for the Adult Children of Alcoholics episode. Um, and I was just going to say that all the things that Emily said she found in ACLA are things I found in Al-Anon. And I only mention that because in my area, there was no ACLA meeting. But most of the meetings I attended had that mix of adult children and alcoholics, as well as, you know, people who were their first spouses or their um, parent, um, their children. And when I first came into recovery, I had heard that episode. I probably would have thought I was doing something wrong if I didn't go to an ACLA meeting. So I just wanted to um, let people know that Al-Anon does have those tools available. And if there are some meetings that are focused on adult children's issues, and there's lots of literature that, or some literature that we have that specifically speaks to the adult children alcoholic um, experience, like Hope for Today, From Survival to Recovery, um, and I think there's maybe one or two more. So just putting that out there in case somebody's listening and they're like, oh, no, if I'm not doing ACOA, I'm doing it wrong. Just that reminder that um, what's available, the tools are there, and they can be found in Al-Anon as well. Thank you both so much for your service. Bye. Nancy wrote, I've been away from Al-Anon for 10 years at this time. I was away 10 years last time. My slips last a long time. I just discovered your show. I'm so happy to know that even if I go away, Alan does not. It's like my higher power, always ready to receive me, the prodigal daughter with open arms. Thank you for the words that still are perfectly Alan that must be spoken, not only read. I need to hear it over and over again, ever searching for serenity, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you for reminding us that, yeah, the program's always there. And I know I take advantage of that when I find myself in need of some serenity. I can go back to a meeting that I haven't been to for years and people will say, oh, it's so good to see you. What they don't say is, where the hell were you? (laughs) You know, it's always just welcome. Somebody named Nancy, and I think it's probably not the same Nancy, left us a voicemail. Here she is. Hi, my name is Nancy, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. I'd like to give feedback on an old podcast. I'm old school, so this 
your show is actually the first time I've ever listened to a podcast and so grateful to have done so. The first one I listened to was, I can't get it straight, but it's the best title. I didn't fucking recover so I could deal with this shit or something like that. I didn't get sober so I could deal with this. <laughs> anyway, loved it. This is my second one, letting go of the process. No, 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 it's not. Kind of, kindness and compassion was my second. This is my third, letting go of the process. Episode 105. And so I don't know if I'm doing this right or not, but I'm calling in to give you my share, what I assume is my share on what you just told me in this podcast, which I haven't even finished, I, I must admit. But I'm at the po- point where you've asked me to give commentary. And I so want to, even though I know it's, it's already happened. Anyway, long explanation. Here we go, bottom line. What do I feel about... Oh, my God. So much I got out of your share. Thank you so much, both of you, Hillary and... Was it Sean? I want to say Sean, and pardon me if I got your name wrong. Like I said, I'm new to this whole process, and I'm very excited by it because because the personal has gotten to be the issue in my Al-Anon life, in my city, in my meetings, and in my fellowship, which is mainly sistership. There are a few outlier men, but it's mainly sistership. And we are like family, and it is great, but we're also like family (laughs) in that we are enmeshed. I come from a Jewish family, which in Jewish culture, the more enmeshed you are, that's how you prove your love for someone. That's how you prove it, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in the court of law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And letting go of the process, I am in a process today. Today, I'm meeting with my sponsor, and initially I would have said to break up. We're not going to break up, probably. I know we're not, because because of this fucking program. I know we're going to keep working at it. And I want to do the work on it. I just don't want to keep the the process. I want to, I want to let go of the trying, the effort and the forced solution that has been getting in my, my way and her way. In our way is enmeshment and not clear boundaries because we love each other. We just, I've loved her from the second I met her, just as a person, as a human being on this planet, right? But now I'm in this program, and I'm diligently, like I do everything like a Girl Scout, I'm diligently throwing myself at this program, especially now in my in my life, because I'm going through, I'm just uh, learning things about myself on a personal level that I had I had never known. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just my Al-Anon recovery that's been affected, it's everything of my life has been sort of touched. I said that, that we had a number of responses to uh, the Cynthia C. Open Talk, which is episode 213. Pat says, Dear Spencer, thank you so much for the wonderful talk from Cynthia C. I plan to take a page from her book and totally focus on serenity as the prime goal of my life. And that means reading conference-approved literature, working the steps, traditions, and concepts, attending meetings, service, and listening to The Recovery Show. All the best, and thank you again so much. Alan on his miracle working in my life. Chen says, insightful. The speaker talked about her first step to finding love was admitting hate. Once I thought about it, I realized I've experienced this myself. I grew up thinking hate is wrong. Alan taught me emotions aren't wrong. They just are. Kathy said, this speaker told my story. I listened as if it were an intense dramatic movie, hoping that in the end all would find recovery and live happily ever after. Although I still felt sadness and disappointment that her husband never stayed with his program and continues to drink, this is what my higher power is showing me is still possible. The recovery can be mine to claim and live into, even while those I love are still active in their disease. Thank you for that reminder, Kathy. 
Kylie commented on the ACA episode 203. Hello, I've just listened to your podcast, ACA 203. I'm in Australia, and meetings are thin on the ground here. So listening to what you've offered here is so helpful. I am so grateful. The music offered is also brilliant. That wasn't me. Wow. Nobody does music better than the USA, Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say, I'll tell you what, Kylie, there's some great music coming out of, out of Australia, too. Yeah. And Alicia responded to a question that a listener had asked. She left a, this comment on episode 2012 responding to uh, somebody who asked a question in, in the feedback section of that episode. Hello, I'm writing to reach out to Cynthia, episode 212, that asked about parents of children that are in recovery. My 16-year-old daughter entered a 12-step program 21 months ago. We were so lucky to find an enthusiastic sobriety program that focuses on teen young adults and their parents. The program is very focused on AA and Al-Anon and asks the programs to really focus on themselves and not their child, which is a very hard balance with any underage child, especially one abusing drugs and alcohol. Without the parent support group, we would have never made it through these last two years. I've tried Al-Anon meetings, but my parent support group is what I need right now. Cynthia, my heart goes out to you. Spencer, your show is great, and the topics are perfect for those living with an addict, parent, spouse, etc. Thank you for the hope and love your show provides. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you for sharing your experience and your hope, Alicia, because, you know, I don't have that experience. And so we have a community, we have a conversation, and thank you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web ending your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Anne, Diane, Lucy, and Elizabeth did, and thank you again for your support. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. And I just had some of that Amazon affiliate money come in recently, and I used it to order a couple pieces of equipment that I need for the studio. So thanks for that. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song selection, you picked this one, Eric. This is one that I covered years ago. This was when I was trying desperately to save my marriage. I think my wife was away in treatment again. I started doing this song. It's called I'm About to Come Alive by Train. And it's a lot of anguish in here, but it's with some hope as well. And it says, I can, I can hear you downstairs crying on the phone, telling someone that I'm here, but you still feel all alone. Maybe we were too young. Goodbye. I've got to go. I can hear the baby waking up. Got to get back to the life I know. Don't give up on me. I'm about to come alive. And it's about coming out of that sadness and loneliness, eh? It is. It, yeah, it is. I mean, there's a lot of it in there. I mean, I was the person on the phone feeling alone with my wife and children in the house. I, I was the person on the phone in that song. Still, you know, telling someone that I feel all alone, even though the house was with people. And I can still get that feeling on occasion, feeling all alone, but I know it's just a feeling. I know that I am not. I uh, learned to love myself and I'll never be alone. I learned to look for my higher power and help in the rooms by asking and reaching out. Yep. 
Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.